Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Hello and welcome to a very special holiday episode of Soundtrack Your Life. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Pack. And not only is this a holiday episode, but it's also the first collaboration episode with a fellow podcaster. My guest is a professor of world literature at Baruch College in New York City and the host of the Why Do We Read This podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and many other podcast platforms. Welcome, Dr. Rebecca L. Salois. Hello. So, Rebecca, today we are going to talk about the 1970 Ronald Neem film, Scrooge. So, what connects you to this holiday classic? I grew up with this. I, I, you know, there are a million adaptations of A Christmas Carol out there uh, in movie form. And there's a few that I enjoy. But this one is just, it's one that, that I grew up with. Uh, my dad's house, every December we would watch it. Um, you know, sing along to the songs as we're watching it and everything. And um, I've continued this tradition with my husband. I was like, no, this movie has like we can we can mix up the other Christmas movies each December. That's fine. But this one has to happen every year. And, and even he's uh, become a big fan of it. And we'll we'll sing songs and reference quotes from the movie throughout the year. Um, so it's just one that has stuck with me, I think, throughout throughout my life yeah and so this version of scrooge is actually a musical yes and i believe the poster or the tagline on the poster when the film came out was what the dickens are they doing to scrooge (laughs) they're making it better it is my absolute favorite christmas story i mean i guess when you think of christmas stories it's probably the quintessential christmas story anyway but um i bought an audiobook version of a Christmas Carol, and it's read by Jim Dale, who uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He read the Harry Potter audiobooks um, and many others, but he does a reading of A Christmas Carol. And every year when my husband and I are traveling to, well, not this year, but every other year when we visit to travel our different families throughout the holidays, we put the audiobook on in the car and listen to it. And I learned a lot of things from the story that I didn't realize were a part of the story because they didn't make it into the film cut that I grew up with. Yeah, so I've never actually read A Christmas Carol, the book. I've only seen, you know, many of the film adaptations or TV adaptations. So what are some of the things that are missing from what most people would know? Well, from the Scrooge version that that I love, the, the one that we'll be talking about today, they don't address the topics of ignorance and want. And Ignorance and Want are two characters that sort of come in during the Ghost of Christmas present, I believe. It's like right after they've been spying on Tiny Tim and and Bob Cratchit and everything. And these two small children appear from under the robes of the Ghost of Christmas present. And um, he goes on this whole speech about ignorance and want. The boy is ignorance, the girl is want. Beware them both and all of their degree. 
but most of all, beware this boy for on his brow, I see written, which is doom unless the writing be erased. So basically, you know, ignorance, it's one thing to want, but to have ignorance, then you can never sort of escape that cycle of want. So that's a, that's a really important part of the story that is left out of this sort of fun musical version. And it's also left out of my second favorite version, uh, which is the Muppet Christmas Carol. And also the Disney cartoon version, which is probably the one I'm most familiar with. The Mickey Mouse one? Yes, the Mickey Mouse one. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't realize that Christmas Carol was a Charles Dickens novella mm-hmm. um, until until high school where you get that, you know, where you get the classic reading list. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I remember seeing that and, you know, I, so I'm, I'm sitting in honors English reading this list and the first thought that came to my mind was, Scrooge McDuck is a Dickens character. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, especially if you come up with the, the with one of the animated versions. I, I mean, I I honestly I don't know if I've ever seen that one. Um, the I've done an episode of my podcast on this subject, and my partner at the time talked about growing up with the Mickey version. She grew up in in Venezuela. And, you know, so it was a Spanish translation. It's a lot easier to do that with uh, animation than live action. I realize that a lot of people don't take me seriously because I feel like I've learned a lot of things from cartoons. No, you can get so much from cartoons. Seriously, like you go, especially when you go back as an adult and watch them. If it was something you grew up with as a kid and you go back and watch as an adult, you're like, wow, okay, there was a lot going on here that I maybe didn't pick up at the time. I remember being in a English class when we were watching Citizen Kane, and I was like, oh, there's a Tiny Toons episode that parodied this, and my teacher just wasn't having it. Oh, no. See, that's unfortunate. I, I love those connections. I mean, obviously, that, that's the premise of my podcast. Why do we read this? Is making those connections to pop culture. So if you don't necessarily relate to Citizen Kane in the format that it was created, if you can make that connection to, you know, a cartoon that you watch after school or on weekends, then great. You're still getting the message of that, that story and the lesson there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Cartoons are a good thing. Yeah. That's what I thought, but I was like, Oh, I guess, I guess Scrooge McDuck is a, is very Dickensian if you really think about it. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Scrooge is, Scrooge is an interesting character in that regard. I mean, and I just, I love in this version, the songs really, like the, the, the transition of the songs in the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie really help demonstrate that progression that he's made throughout visiting each of these ghosts. You know, you sort of see that gruff, angry Scrooge at the beginning. And then when he's in his memories, there's like a, a slight softness. Mm-hmm. And until you get to the end where he's happy and cheery and singing all the what I think are the famous songs. But I suppose if you don't know this version, maybe they're not. (laughs) So I haven't seen this version of the film or I wasn't familiar with this version of the film until uh, researching this podcast. So I watched it recently and I laughed pretty hard at the end of the film when he's with the ghost of Christmas Future. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like this cheerful 
song and dance, like a big musical production number. The thank you and, very much song. Yeah, and they're literally like dancing on his casket. It's so amazing. <laughs> I love it. That is some dark humor right there. It really is, yeah. And then following it up with his trip to hell is a uh, another thing, which that is not in the book. Or in any or any of the cartoons. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a very special adaptation. Um, that song, thank you very much. And I I looked to find out where this was, but I couldn't figure it out. I want to say it was some like bank or credit card. They used it for a commercial, maybe like 10, 15 years back. I remember it being a commercial, a thank you very much. And they did this whole song and dance, but it, I don't, I could not, I, I tried to look it up again to see if I could find out what, what commercial it was. But I remember seeing it in a commercial and being like, okay, now like everybody will understand the reference to this song. And, you know, most people wouldn't if they hadn't seen that version. That, that makes sense because the song did sound kind of familiar to me. Okay. So I feel like I had heard it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where else they've used it, but I, I'm pretty sure it was in a commercial at some point. It's really great just because of how oblivious he remains. Just, you know, the 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 way they frame everything so that he's never looking in the direction where the casket is. He never understands what they're thanking him for. And he just thinks he's done something great and amazing. And they're celebrating his death. <laughs> it, it's dark, but it, it still keeps it fun and lively. So like as a kid, I didn't necessarily grasp all the darkness behind that. I just thought it was a fun song. And, and we sing that a lot in my family, you know, the thank you very much. I'm not singing on your podcast. Don't worry. You don't want that. <laughs> but that song, if you haven't seen this movie, go check it out because um, it's it's absolutely it, it's catchy. I mean, I'm sure you you know this about movie credits having originally been at the beginning of the film. They would put them all at the at the beginning that really um, so you go through all of the the camera people, all that stuff is put in the front end of the film and they put it with the music from the course of the movie. It made me think like, when, when did they stop doing that? And why did they stop doing that? And well, I, I found two movies before this, I would say uh, Star Wars has really been the one that was credited with moving the credits to the end because they had that opening sequence um, but I guess Around the World in 80 Days from 1956 and West Side Story in 1961 also had done it. It just wasn't quite the same scandal that it, I guess it was with Star Wars. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense with Star Wars because that would be a lot of reading at the beginning of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember growing up because we watched it on VHS that my stepmom would always fast forward through it because we would watch the movie as like a TV dinner, you know, and not like the frozen TV dinners, but my my stepmom would make dinner and we would eat it with a movie and she wouldn't let us eat before the movie started. <laughs> but the credits were so long on the beginning of that, that we wouldn't have been able to eat for, you know, what, five, 10 minutes or something. So she would always fast forward it so we could uh, we could get eating as well. <laughs> so the song that's in the overture uh, I guess there's some like copyright issues or or um, there's some legal issues with that song. And that's why they haven't been able to re-release the soundtrack. 
Oh, okay. See, you know, when I saw the the soundtrack on, like, I found it on YouTube, I was like, oh, why do I not own this? And, you know, it, I guess it's probably because it's not available to own. <laughs> I didn't realize that because, I mean, the overture is the whole, it's all the songs, right? Yeah. But it kind of it goes through at least a little bit of each of the songs, maybe not them in the entirety, but it's sort of the main uh i don't speak musical terms but the the sort of main like line theme. of each song the theme yeah there we go my husband would be ashamed he's a musician <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it says a soundtrack album containing all the songs from the film was issued on columbia records in 1970 due to legal complications however the soundtrack has never been re-released in the cd format oh and the current paramount blu-ray release of the film has removed the overture I only have the DVD version. I don't have a Blu-ray version. So well, clearly you um, don't want the Blu-ray version. No, I don't. I don't like when they do those kind of things. You know, I don't like to watch It's a Wonderful Life in color. And um, the Muppets Christmas Carol does it. They have a theatrical cut and a, and a video cut, which actually I think the video cut has a longer version of the of Bell's song. But if you watch the theatrical cut, it's a shorter version of that. That's in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, her song, the Isabel or Belle or Bella or whatever they end up calling her, depending on the adaptation. Um, her song has always sort of been a a joke in my family, I guess, because she just goes on and on and singing the whole time. And if you remember from this film, it's like he doesn't say a word, yet they're going on picnics, riding in boats on a carriage ride and she just keeps singing and singing and you know right. i mean it's a bit a bit misogynistic i will i will mark that um sort of disclaimer here but you know my dad's like oh well i mean no wonder he wanted to break up with her she never stopped singing she wouldn't give him a chance to get a word in but um but those songs they go on for a while in uh in the movie and so i don't know i think the the muppet one drags on a bit longer unless you watch the theatrical version then they cut it short and it's fine you know as far as musicals go i feel like the music is really well integrated into the movie where you don't for the most part feel like uh it's another long musical number yeah and for the most part i would say that one song is sort of the the exception and again less so in scrooge than in the muppet version um and maybe less so now as an adult, you know, as a kid, and I was like, oh, the love storyline, like, blah, blah, blah. Although I'm still, I still kind of have issues with that. I, the whole stereotypical love story. I'm like, just give me something a little more angsty, a little something. I don't know. Like, I want, I, <laughs> I want the movies to end, like, before they get together. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you're right about the, this working with it being integrated because Christmas is a time for singing and carols and so on. And so many of the songs like the, um, when the children are singing there, the Christmas carol at the beginning, you know, it makes sense. They're going around caroling, but then they sort of transition into um, Father Christmas, you know? So they sing, they sing a Christmas carol to him at the beginning uh, when they knock on his door, but then later they're sort of, haunting him down the street and and singing father christmas um it works because they were already singing and you kind of get that that's their thing 
So yeah, and things are happening in the plot while they're singing to him. You know, he goes to the guy who's making soup in a cart, and the guy's asking, you know, if he can delay his payments a couple weeks. Yeah. So the action, the action doesn't stop to make the song happen. It's it's integrated. So yeah, it does. It works really well. You know, sometimes at Christmas, honestly, any time of year, and especially if you live in a city um, <laughs> where there's just people all over the place. And, you know, for the most part, I love that. Uh, but once in a while, it can be frustrating. The song that he sings by himself walking through the streets of London, the I hate people. That song. It, it's a mood, you know, <laughs> as the kids say, it's a mood because some days you just you feel it. You feel it inside. you just like, oh, people, why are you like this? And and so this song always comes to mind for me. It's really fun to try and sing along to it, too, because it's, um, you know, there's so much the, the rhyming and the ability. Like, I just I watched it this time thinking about him learning to sing this song. And it was really just really impressive. Yeah. So the person who wrote all the songs for the movie his name is Leslie Recuse. He's no stranger to doing musicals. Okay. But what I found, so so I'm gonna I'm going to connect Scrooge to Rihanna. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, this is definitely not in my episode of the podcast. I'm very curious to hear about this. <laughs> uh, uh, so Leslie Recuse also wrote two songs for James Bond movies. Okay. So at the beginning of every James Bond film, there's like a big song and, you know, Paul McCartney's done it, Jack White, Adele, like they usually get some pretty big names to do these James Bond songs. All right. So Leslie Recuse wrote two of them. Um, he wrote the song for Goldfinger and for Moonraker. Mm -hmm. And both of those films have Shirley Bassey as the vocalist on them. Um, Shirley okay. Bassey has a third James Bond song called Diamonds, and that has been sampled by both Rihanna and Kanye West. All right. So it's like that six degrees of separation, but it's really only like two or three degrees. Yeah. So Leslie Recuse through Shirley Bassey is connected to Rihanna and Kanye West. <laughs> I don't know what you just did to my favorite Christmas movie, but I'm feeling a little bit scandalized right now. <laughs> I mean, it's not a no, bad I think it's connection. Great. Rihanna's amazing, so you know, it's not a it's not a bad thing. Kanye West, well, that one's a little bit debatable, but Rihanna's Rihanna's a queen. Yeah, so you know, it's just showing that you know he's. Uh, I guess his his music is timeless. Uh, Goldfinger has been referenced a lot of times in pop culture. I guess most famously, you know, by Mike Myers and Austin Powers' Gold Member. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember that one well. <laughs> um, there's also a 90s ska band called Goldfinger, and there was an Irish Britpop band called Ash, and they have a song called Goldfinger. So, you know, Leslie Bacuse has a has quite an influence on pop culture outside of this film. And I would say, you know, okay, I, I'm not the music master here or anything, but um, just by name, it's not like a name that anyone... Well, maybe people would. I don't know. But it's not a name that I would immediately recognize and say, oh, yeah, that guy. Right. Um, but when you when you put it out on the table like that, it it's really kind of cool to see how how far it spreads. 
I think he was pretty well known in the musical world before this film. I'm sure he was. I'm just not, you know, for me, I wouldn't recognize the name. Yeah, me neither. I would have never guessed that the guy who wrote the songs for Scrooge would have written any James Bond songs. I mean, he's <laughs> clearly talented, but I feel like uh, Bond songs kind of have a certain feel to them, and that would obviously not fit in Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> a 2020 adaptation of Scrooge. <laughs> Bercuse also wrote uh, the love theme from Superman. <laughs> A love theme from Superman. Like, which Superman? Uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman. Oh, okay. Okay. He did that with John Williams. Well, anything John Williams is fantastic. It was probably back in 2003. Um, my husband and I had just started dating. At that point, we actually went to a John Williams concert where he did uh, he did some of his musical film stuff, but he also did a lot of Henry Mancini film Mm -hmm. music uh with the boston pops which was you know ugh, it was fantastic that like even for someone like me who's not necessarily so up on film music or music in general just john williams music is so iconic that you <laughs> you, you can recognize it a mile away and and you know, you can place it like, oh, yeah, this one, this is Harry Potter or this is E.T. or this is, you know, Indiana Jones or whatever, Star Wars. Um, it's it's always so good. There's a show on Netflix where they kind of go behind the scenes and tell the story of like a classic film like Die Hard or like Home Alone where they'll have people from the cast and crew and they will tell, you know, stories about production troubles and Okay. You know, juicy little tidbits that you may not know. And there was an episode on Home Alone. and John Williams? Yeah. And so Christopher Columbus, which I can't believe is his real name. <laughs> so Christopher Columbus is talking about, you know, they finished shooting the film and they, you know, sent a letter and a prayer to John Williams to do the score for the film. Because, you know, no, nobody knew that Home Alone was going to be the, the box office smash that it ended up becoming. Right. And so John Williams agreed to it. And they said, you know, when he put that music on top of all the footage, it, it changed the film from, you know, this quirky little comedy to like a family Christmas film. Yeah, it's definitely iconic in that sense. He has a way of taking things and making them next level. You know, like you said, a quirky film like uh, Home Alone, where you're just like, yeah, okay, we're making this. It'll be funny. The kids will get a kick out of it to a family, uh, a family film that, you know, many people watch each year. It's the closest to a Christmas movie that my family will watch together. Okay. <laughs> like, we don't have that one movie that we watch every year together, but... My dad loves Home Alone, so that would probably be the closest we'd get to having a family movie. That's fair. That's fair. I suppose it's better than A Christmas Story, which my stepmom hated that one. She she would not watch that one with us. She's like, if you guys want to watch it, fine, but I'm, I'm going to go do something else. I read that Alec Guinness is 20 years older than Albert Finney, but they basically play peers in this film. Yep. <laughs> And Alec Guinness is amazing as Marley in this film. I think, um, you know, obviously to me, most known for his Obi-Wan 
but um, it was in many, many things. So again, another one of those connections that you make when you realize it's the same actor who who plays Obi-Wan <laughs> is, is Marley. So let me add this. So Ewan McGregor has played both a younger version of Albert Finney in Big Fish and in a younger version of Alec Guinness as young Obi-Wan in the prequels. <laughs> yes, I remember that in Big Fish. Uh, I, I haven't seen that movie in a million years. I think looks like we might have actually finally gotten rid of it in our last cleaning. But um, I think that was one of the first movies that my husband, my now husband and I saw when we started dating <laughs> a million years ago. It came out in 03. Yeah, I believe that's right. I think so. Yeah, we saw it shortly after. One of the other things that, that gets me in this film is um, Tiny Tim. And just, you know, you get kids and, and they their voices are so tiny anyway. But how high he can sing. Right. And the, the beautiful day song that he sings, you know, I'll always, and again, I'm a terrible singer, but I will always, you know, around my husband, I'll try and sing that just to, just to get on his nerves, <laughs> see if I can hit those notes. Uh, but yeah, that's the, the part where he says, if my wish could come true somehow, like that part that the wish element, you know, it's another one of those things that we just go around the house singing because mm -hmm. it, it sticks in your head. And, you know, there are some soft songs in there and some kind of chill, calm songs. But I really enjoy how, you know, by the time they come to the end, the thank you very much, that that, that very dark song that we talked about. Um, but also when he gets to the part of singing, I like life, you know, first he'd sung that song with the ghost of Christmas present. And it really took a lot of convincing. He had to drink the the milk of human kindness. And he drinks it in a very odd way. Like, he <laughs> like, big cup. <laughs> and it like buries his head in the cup. It's so funny when he takes his face out of it, too. He's just like instantly drunk off of happiness. <laughs> and that's that's um, I always love that that ghost in any adaptation of A Christmas Carol. I think it's the one that changes the least. Although I, maybe the ghost of Christmas yet to come always sort of looks like a grim reaper too. Was it that way in the, in the Mickey version? I think so, but it's been a <laughs> That's while. That's kind of dark for kids. <laughs> I think you can see like it's a, a person inside there, not just a skeleton. Okay. Maybe. okay. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but the ghost of Christmas past always appears very differently in all of the adaptations I've mm -hmm. seen. And honestly, when when I listen to the audio book and they're trying to describe what that ghost looks like, I'm like, yeah, I can understand why that would be difficult to portray on camera. But there's definitely something about like a hat with a candle, like a like he's got a flame. The ghost has a flame coming from his head. And if there's like a thing that you put on top of candles to, to put them out a right. damper or whatever. He's got one of those. So that's in this movie, it's played by an older woman. And I'm assuming it's simply because of the, the musical aspect of it. I don't know, having that many children, child actors or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's kind of funny. The girl, the ghost of Christmas past looks like she's just going to go play bridge after haunting him. 
<laughs> you know, like she's very like proper. Um, very Victorian. <laughs> yeah, very Victorian. Um, so she is played by Edith Evans. Okay. And so she and Albert Finney were in a movie together called Tom Jones. I believe that came out in 1963. It's a comedy. And they were both nominated for Oscars from that movie. So he okay. was nominated for Best Actor. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress with um, two of her fellow co-stars. So three actresses from the same movie were all nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, I feel like I have to go see that movie if it was that well nominated. <laughs> So it's kind of a reunion of those two uh, actors in a movie. Okay. I don't know if that's why she got cast in the film because they were. I mean, honestly, their chemistry previously. It could be that, but you also have to think about you know even today, when you see British actors in something like you've seen them in something else. There's only a handful of them. It seems you know, if if like Doctor Who. For example, like any any British actor, I feel like I've seen them in Doctor Who at some point. You know? I believe Bob Cratchit was in Doctor Who, or at least the radio play. See, there we go. <laughs> also, you know, we have we must mention that Albert Finney is Daddy Warbucks. Yes, yes, that is one of the the few because I was looking through his films trying to see like which ones have I actually watched, and I was oh Annie, yeah, all right, <laughs> he had the bald cap on in that movie. <laughs> Right. Well, he really likes prosthetics. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was just really good at tolerating them, so they kept casting him. Um, so he was, I believe he was nominated for acting, I think, four or five times. I don't think he ever won. Oh, really? um, But he did win a Golden Globe for his acting in Scrooge. Okay. All right. So not an Oscar, but... Yeah, the next best step. Yeah. <laughs> next, next best, the next best thing, I mean. And honestly, what are the Oscars anyway? A bunch of nonsense. <laughs> who, who is this academy that we're talking about? And, um, oh, that's a, this, the, that's a different yeah. podcast. <laughs> All right, fair enough. But, you know, this film was nominated for four Oscars, um, including best song, but I can't find out which song. I'm hoping it's the thank you song because I think that's the best song from the film, but I think it has to be. I mean, the other ones are fun. The other ones are good. They, they're kind of, it has to be the thank you very much song. The other one that, that's sort of fun and lively too is uh, from his past, the December the 25th song mm -hmm. when um, his boss, uh, Fezziwig, I always want to say Fozziewig because of the Muppet version. <laughs> uh, but Fezziwig, where, where it's at his workplace and he puts on the Christmas party and everything. And I just watch them do this dance. And I really think about how little we know dance that way anymore. You know, yes, it was a film. Yes, it was a musical. Yes, they obviously practiced that for the film itself. But people used to dance all these like they would just go to a party and dance and they knew all the steps <laughs> and they would move couches out of the way <laughs> yes yep they would they absolutely would um yeah i just i love watching that that scene just to see them going through the dance moves i think it's it's absolutely fascinating but that's another example of how the song really fits in with the story that's being told like while we're watching them do a dance scene and it's not necessarily 
progressing the plot, it is a plot point. You know, you need to see them in this festive setting. It's not it's not high school musical. Let's all climb up on the tables and sing songs, something that wouldn't actually happen. This is a Christmas party. People are going to sing and dance. And it makes right. sense. Sorry, high school musical. <laughs> I'm not. OK, good. <laughs> That's true. We're, we're of the same generation. So, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get any complaints here. Oh, but I, I do have to bring up the ghost of Christmas present and the amount of candles that are in that room when he is introduced. It's very bright. <laughs> I love I, I do love the power of uh, candles in film. Right. Because if you actually lose your power, even just shut out the lights and light a candle, it doesn't give you that much light. But anytime Scrooge lights a candle, it's like the whole room becomes bright. Oh, yeah, sure. That's how it happens. You know, at least with the ghost of Christmas present, he's got a lot of candles there. And he shows them Bob Cratchit's house. This gets me where they have all the candles in the tree and they're just lighting the candles in a dead tree that's sitting in their living room. Like, how dangerous is this? Yes, lots of fired hazards in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's such, a, it's such a happy movie, though. You know, I just, I, I love all the elements. When you get to the end and he, he takes the, the big turkey, you know, just from the minute he opens the windows and calls down to the boy and is, you know, he says like, hey, go get this turkey and come back, you know, and it's the turkey that's the kid's like, well, the one as big as me. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Um, you know, and he shows up at Bob Cratchit's house with the turkey and everything. And after after he's heard uh, Bob Cratchit's wife like talking smack about him, not that she knows, but, you know, he was <laughs> he he knows what she was thinking just to have him pull down the mask and have everyone realize that it was Scrooge. And like he has gone mad. <laughs> I don't think he was as worried about him going mad until he doubled his salary. And then he's like, okay, now he's lost. <laughs> right. That's sort of the, the bit about where the Scrooge story still fits in today to me, you know, how relevant it is, this sort of fiscal conservative, like, no, we can't, we can't pay these people anymore because what are they going to do with this money? And um, it's my money and I earned it. And, you know, you really get that that same sentiment that's really prolific in in the U.S. society today anyway. I think that's uh, that's one of those messages that still for me resonates uh, over and over again. The, the only difference being he does get to learn his lesson and have another chance in the end. Yeah, we just need more ghosts floating around haunting yeah, right? people, scaring them straight. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's really true, though. Um, you know, it, for Scrooge, he goes through this transition, right, where first he doesn't care about anyone. He doesn't care about Bob Cratchit. He doesn't care. He's just a guy who comes and does work for him and then goes. When he sees into his family and he gets to know him, then he sympathizes with him. And he feels for Tiny Tim. It's this whole idea of, well, you know, it's not a big deal until you know someone that is directly affected by the situation which is what happens for scrooge and then you know he eventually when he learns about ignorance and want in the long story we do see him sort of coming to terms with it being more than just about people he knows but about the whole i don't know the whole community the whole city the whole 
world, whatever it is, he, you know, he realizes that, um, I, I think what really gets me is when he's talking to the two men at the beginning and he's going on about how he doesn't want to, um, give them any money for charities because these people should be like, you know, basically pulling themselves up by the bootstraps mentality, which of course, you know, that's more an American phrase, but, um, impossible nonetheless you know they they're trying to get money from him and he's like well send these people to the workhouses and the poor houses and you know i already support them through taxation and so on and he's like you know uh, <laughs> in one of the really dark lines of the movie where it's like you know many he says you know why don't they just go there and the men are like well many can't go there and many would rather die and he's like well, if they would rather die, then they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> it's right. like, okay, all right. Tell us how you really feel, right? But that ties into how today we look at people and blame them for their own poverty, right? right. That um, that so much, we, we think that what happens to us when bad things happen to us it's circumstances, but when bad things happen to other people, then it's their fault. They sort of did this to themselves. They brought it upon themselves. And and obviously with the wealthy, there's a very different level of that where, you know, they think, well, I got where I got from my hard work. And so I deserve what I have. And if you want what I have, then you need to work the way I worked. And well, there's obviously some element of truth to that you have to consider the circumstances in which they came into the world. You know, a tiny Tim in his situation could never be a Scrooge simply because there's no opportunity for him to do this. Right. I don't know. That's, that's my little soapbox for you. <laughs> I, get, I get really into that, that element of it. I, I think that's why I'm so passionate about this story, you know, sort of turning, turning this like, crotchety old capitalist into <laughs> a community loving socialist. Right. The person who will not give you more than seven days to, uh, to extend your payments. The man asks for two weeks and gives him free soup. He asks for it to go and says, you only get one week. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and that's the thing, you know, Okay, so why is Scrooge able to hold on to his money? Because he gets free soup from these people who, <laughs> you know, he doesn't even have to pay for his dinner, it seems, you know. he's it, Nothing is ever only earned because of your hard work. There's a lot of luck that comes into it. There's a lot of circumstantial uh, conditions that play into that. And, you know, at least with A Christmas Carol, Scrooge gets the, the opportunity to see it from the other side, which in the real world, we don't have that opportunity. Were there any songs that sort of, so you listened to it first, right? And then you went and watched it. You were able to, to find it on video or? I think it's on Spotify. The movie. The soundtracks. And then the I watched it on, then I found it on Amazon Prime for rental. Oh, Sorry to make you rent the movie. <laughs> it's fine. No, it's worth owning, but apparently not on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, don't rent it. Don't buy it on Blu-ray. Or you're not going to get the overture. 
Although for some people, they might like that. I don't know. I sat through and listened to it the whole time this time because I was like, well, we're doing it for the podcast. Yeah, so I listened to the soundtrack, which, you know, obviously out of context is kind of hilarious when you hear I hate people. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, you know, in the context of the movie, I really enjoyed the music in the movie. Um, you know, that Leslie Bracuse definitely knows how to write a catchy song. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's it is it's catchy. It sticks with you. I mean, as I said, one of my other favorite adaptations is the Muppet one. When did that one come out? I believe nineteen eighty. I want to say nineteen eighty two. Muppet Christmas Carol's that old? Oh my gosh! Oh no, no, the Muppet one is nineteen ninety two. Oh okay. I was like, I was gonna say, I'm I'm pretty sure it was long after I was older. So yeah, nineteen ninety two. So I would have been 11, close to 12. Um, you know, it, it was probably the second most watched version. And I really do enjoy it. it it's got some fun bits in it. Um, just the whole idea of having Waldorf and Statler play Marley and Marley uh, in that mm. version <laughs> is a lot of fun. Um, the songs are definitely catchy. I don't know if there's some element of it being the kids movie that keeps it slightly separated for me, even though I saw both of them when I was a kid or a young teen or whatever, preteen. You've seen the Muppet version? I have seen the Muppet version. Okay. <laughs> with Michael Caine. Yes. Yeah. And he does make a good, a good Scrooge. I, I'll give him that. Although they don't... I don't know. He's just he doesn't have the same crotchety vibe going that uh, that Albert Finney's Scrooge does. There's something so much more sinister about Albert Finney's version. Yeah, there's there's a gravitas with Albert Finney. And, you know, I think I think the Muppet version just doesn't have it's just not as dark like you need, you know, the 1970 version is so much more Dickensian. Like people are yeah. like it's there's so much more suffering. Yes. And there's so much more poverty and it in comes this. across a lot better in that, you know, you don't have singing vegetables. <laughs> you actually have children whose teeth are like colored to to look like they're falling out and you can see the poverty in in that version. So yeah, I think, you know, yeah, it's it's a much more accurate portrayal. Not that I read the Dickens version, but I know Dickens. <laughs> Yeah, he he has a vibe. We're actually doing um, for the the holiday special that we're doing on Why Do We Read This? We're going to cover The Cricket on the Hearth, which is another Dickens Christmas story and one that most people aren't familiar with. It's the it's the B-side of. Yeah, it's like the B-side of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So if you have the the little set of Christmas movies, the the stop motion Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. it, it is an animated movie called the cricket on the hearth afterward. And I remember my husband and I watching it just for fun, just to see what its deal was. And we we're like, what, what is happening in this? Movie? Like, I, I, I can't even explain it to you. So we thought, well, we'll do an episode of the podcast on the book. It, it's a good holiday story or it's not a good holiday story but it's a holiday story 
we listened to the first 40 minutes of the audiobook. Again, it was read by Jim Dale. So I was like, okay, if anyone can get me to like this story, <laughs> it's Jim Dale. <laughs> and we listened to about 40 minutes of the book. And basically all we got was a guy who was basically a package delivery person came home, found his wife who was there with the baby. And then people started showing up to collect their packages. And there was an old man who he'd picked up along the way who fell asleep in his cart. 40 minutes. And that's what we got. <laughs> it was so descriptive. So over the top. It's like the musical versions of the, the movies definitely help you out because they they sort of break up that heavy victorian era writing style that dickens had speaking of dickens scrooge is the third dickens film that alec that alec guinness was part of like he okay like he i didn't know much about oliver I, twist I, yeah i think he was an oliver twist and i let me let me look it up. But I was like, oh, he seems to like doing the Dickens movies. Even yeah, though I'm trying to guess what else he might have done. I mean, Tale of Two Cities. It was probably something ridiculous, like the when did he do Pickwick Papers or something? No, no, no. <laughs> he he did um he did the nineteen forty six version of Oliver Twist. Or Okay. Yeah. Oliver Twist and um Great Expectations. Oh, Great Expectations. Yeah. Okay, that one makes sense. Sure. Never. Yeah. Outside of Obi outside of Obi-Wan, I was just like I know he's been in a bunch of other things, but I didn't know what. Yeah, and I think that you know, like you said, um a lot of the actors in Scrooge were not necessarily so known to us today, but were well-known actors in their time, and so it probably helped in the popularity of the film initially. It's also one of those things that always gets me when I, you know people are like, oh, what's your favorite version of A Christmas Carol? I'll say Scrooge. And they're like, oh, Scrooged? Right. No, no, <laughs> not that one, please. I mean, no, I don't have a problem with that one. Don't get me wrong, but it's not, it's not my Christmas Carol. And, and that's what I would, I would label Scrooge as my Christmas Carol. <laughs> Sorry, the rest of you. <laughs> I mean, they do use some of the exact lines. Uh, they're they're pretty good with that. And, and, you know, as someone who, again, having watched it each year and now listening to the unabridged audiobook each year, there are moments in the audiobook where I'm like, yeah, okay, yep, this is what happened. Although the Muppets version does a pretty good job of that, too. They have Gonzo narrating the story, and so they do a lot with um, direct quotes from the text as well so i appreciate that but yeah it, it does it does take quite a few liberties like i said the scene in hell is added they take out the ignorance and want scene and there's another scene in the ghost of christmas future where he shows up to some like pawn shop and people are showing up with um all of scrooge's belongings and trying to sell them they like he died and they went to his house and like took his like bed curtains and are now trying to get money from them. <laughs> so that's a bit dark too in the in the original text, which was left out of this musical version. Yeah, that's that's kind of irredeemable for the for the people, no matter how poor. 
to just ransack a dead person's house and sell his belongings. Well, I'm sure it well, was probably par for the course back then. It was under the guise of like mourning for him. You know, they would show up there and then they would just because there's one person who said something about taking something right off of him, like while he was still in the bed. <laughs> It's it's pretty it's pretty dark, yeah. And I, I think that's another one of those moments where he doesn't recognize that it's himself that they're talking about. And and so that's sort of where it ties into that thank you very much bit, but um the musical just makes it a bit more lively. Cause I imagine seeing this staged. I I mean, I I'm gonna assume it was also written for the stage and not just a film, but I don't, I'm not sure. Um, it's been adapted every way possible. <laughs> with these songs though. Oh, yeah. I, don't know. I, I know it's been adapted for the stage with these songs. I don't remember if it was right after the movie or if it was um, later. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing it on stage. I mean, someday when, <laughs> when we you can, can go things see on things stage. on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> when things are happening on the stage again, yeah. Thank you, Rebecca, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a great time. Um, do you want to give a little plug for your podcast again? Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's called Why Do We Read This? And it's a pop culture, literature, current events type podcast. Basically, I take so-called great works of literature and draw parallels between pop culture and current events to show why these stories from any time in history and any place around the world can still be relevant to us in our own world today. And it comes out every two weeks on Wednesdays. We have a, our holiday episode coming out this Wednesday on the 23rd, right, right in time for your Christmas travels. If you are traveling, you can listen to it or um, whatever you like. It is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and probably some other platforms too. Um, but those are the three I intentionally put it on. And yeah, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Why Do We Read This and on Instagram at WDWRT underscore podcast. I lost my Why Do We Read This handle on instagram <laughs> uh i got locked out of it and instagram will not reply and let you back in so i had to start a new account there but um yeah so you can follow us there or you can send us an email at why do we read this at gmail.com so any of those ways are great to get in touch with me if you listen to the podcast and uh have any feedback thank you again happy holidays to you rebecca and happy holidays to you listeners yeah happy holidays everyone thanks again Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.